Destination Medicine is a joint project of the regional training hubs. This podcast series brings you medical students' accounts of their experiences in applying to study medicine. Welcome to Destination Medicine. I'm Nicole Goodman. Many medical students take a convoluted path into medicine, sometimes taking years before making up their minds about a medical career. We know this from the many wonderful medical students we've spoken to for this podcast series, but not so for Harry Gaffney. Harry was sold on medicine from an early age, after he discovered the miraculous curative effect of it all, especially as far as his own asthmatic self was concerned. With few resources behind him, he never deviated from the plan. And now he's nearly there, with many lessons learned that he's happy to share with others. Heather Dawson asks Harry to describe his early decision to join the fascinating world of medicine. I kind of wanted to become a doctor ever since I had my first interaction with one as a kid. So I had really bad asthma. Um, so when I was around about seven, it kind of exacerbated quite a lot and I couldn't you know, participate in any school sports like the 800 meter dash or anything like that, which is a shame because I really liked running. So I saw a doctor and they just, you know, I talked about my symptoms and then they just gave me an inhaler and then it just fixed me and I was able to run and ride my bike with all my friends. And I guess I was kind of awestruck by that. And uh, after every interaction I had with them thereafter with other ailments, they just became more and more mysterious to me and were like, I guess, like magicians that sort of knew all these things that I couldn't comprehend and they just fixed me. So I guess I just wanted to learn and understand what they knew and their thought processes and what happens behind closed doors and, you know, how do they do it? I guess I have a better understanding now, but at that point in time, it was fascinating and it still is. I mean, it just fixed everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, from wanting to become a doctor to making it happen, of course. When did you decide to apply for medicine and what were your first steps and did you even map out a plan? Ooh, yeah, look, by nature, I'm a planner, I think, ahead quite a lot. Anyway, as time went on and in high school, I started seeing guidance counsellors and career counsellors and everything like that to help me understand a little bit better about how the logistics work towards that. The things that didn't really come from a family that could support me going to university or living at home. So I had to move out pretty early in life. So as a result, I guess I had to really get to planning and budgeting. So I just worked overtime and in various jobs, like, you know, in, in bartending and offices and sales and, and tech support and all this sort of stuff. Just for ages, it was six plus years, just purely working and working for it. Put away everything that I could until I'd set up a nice budget that was enough to get me through undergraduate, maybe with a buffer of a year, just in case it didn't work out straight away. So I saved up enough to get through undergraduate and med school as well. So once I'd saved up enough, I applied for an undergraduate at Flinders University. It was a Bachelor of Health Sciences. And luckily I was accepted in. And then I just worked part-time through that just as a, a pizza maker and doing a little bit of tech support then applied for medicine and got in, which was nice on the first shot, which I was ecstatic about. I don't think I've ever been happier than when I got that email. Then I quit my job and then just fully focused on becoming the best medical student I could. And I believe you got a message there for potential future students, Harry? Oh, yeah. So I guess if you're interested in starting a journey towards medicine and studying it and you're kind of scared about how hard it's going to be, regretting not doing it and doing something else that you may not enjoy 
and easy to access is going to be much, much harder to deal with. So I think you've just got to try as hard as you possibly can and overcome the diversity to get into it. And of course, if you're scared of how long it'll take as well, it does take at least eight years from undergraduate to finishing your residency and becoming a fully fledged doctor. I think if you're scared about that length of time, the time's going to pass anyway. So you may as well just put it to the best possible use and achieve that goal overall. So don't give up. Seriously, just be blind and blinkered to it and go as hard as you can and just focus. But what would have happened if you hadn't succeeded with your plan A, getting into medicine? Did you have another plan? Yeah, look, I was going to do an honours year in um, gut microbiology. At the time, and still at the moment, it's a really hot topic. It's really incredibly interesting. It changes every day. So in undergraduate, I actually focused on microbiology and we would culture little organisms and stuff that lived in our gut. And it was just such a, a cool thing to do. In fact, like the gut, it's actually been considered as a functioning separate organ that contributes to your like overall health and well-being that acts independently from your own like sentiency, but still works synergistically with you. It's just incredible. If anyone has the opportunity to look it up, check it out. <laughs> anyway, back to plan A, which you succeeded in. Did you have a mentor or someone who could give you guidance regarding your career before you were accepted into medicine? Yes. And I actually emailed this particular person that helped me out through it a couple of days ago um, to say thank you. It just reminded me that question. So yeah, firstly and foremostly, Flinders offers a mentorship program through its professional development and it's called the Flinders Horizon Award. I took that up during my undergraduate degree and ended up connecting with a general practitioner at the time. I guess they helped me better understand what studying a medical degree would be like. So we'd catch up for coffees every couple of weeks and just chat for, you know, hours and hours just about everything. So they ran me through and set the expectations, you know, the semesters are going to be longer, there's longer contact hours, longer study hours at home, to be prepared from going, from getting top marks, not that that was necessarily happening, but if it was, to just celebrating just passing, you know, in medicine, um, just because the bars and the standards are just that much higher. Obviously, study techniques change as well. So this mentor was helping me move away from just rote learning and moving towards applying knowledge properly. And I guess just coming to terms that studying medicine is like drinking out of a fire hydrant. You're just taking what you can and over time you might pick up the rest, but just, just taking what you can and just, just survive through it. So what tips um, can you give to the people listening to you now, Harry, about the, the application and selection processes for postgraduate medicine? Yeah, sure. So the selections are usually based on a combination of three factors. And I guess you really need to work on maximising your performance in, in those three factors. The first is your undergraduate grade point average, your GAMSAT score, which is a, a barrier examination or an entry examination process after you've finished your undergraduate, and your interview score as well if you get invited for an interview to a medical school. Not all of them work exactly the same. Not all medical schools work the same, but this is the general principle. So for your undergraduate GPA, you just really need to work on increasing that as much as you possibly can. So read up on the topic before going to lectures, because you can't really learn from lectures if it's the first time that you're listening to it. You really need to understand what's going on before you go to the lecture and then use that lecture to re-solidify what you know and pick up on what the really important things are. Attend every lecture in person. You will get behind if you watch it online, 100%. You think you won't, but you will. Don't focus on note-taking or highlighting. Just write down important stuff uh, because when you take notes, I mean, 
you're just distracting yourself from the content really. And then turn those important notes that I just mentioned before, the things that you really feel like jotting down, just into flashcards and that'll make it stick. For any assignments or essays like that, just talk to the tutors that are going to be marking them. You'll figure out what they're looking for and it'll just keep you focused on the things that they're looking for. And just get started early because it'll give you time to review things with fresh eyes later on. I think most importantly with your undergraduate, you really do need to focus on the undergraduate the most out of the three. And the reason for that is because a lot of universities put a huge weight on your your grade point average. And you can redo a GAMSAT exam. They do that twice a year. You don't want to be undergoing and redoing a whole undergraduate degree. It's at least three years of your time. So you don't want to have to start that again. Next is GAMSAT. So I'll make it nice and short because all the information's online for it and um, all the tips are online as well, but I'll rehash them quickly. It's not really a test of knowledge, it's reasoning and endurance. So you really just need to do the provided practice tests that they send you and just improve your essay writing as well. And you can do that by reading some really great books. There's a website called pagingdoctor.com. If you go to that, it's just a forum full of really high yield tips, certainly better than anything that I can give in this in this podcast episode right now. And for the endurance side of things, you just it's hard, but you need to make sure you're well rested on the day of the exam. So you just don't study anything for the few days beforehand. Just rest up and recover. You don't want to be going into a burnout. And lastly, just for the interview, don't rehearse any of your answers. No matter how much you rehearse it, it's always going to sound inauthentic and it's going to sound robotic and no one will appreciate it. And in fact, the more you rehearse it, the more it's going to sound robotic and just fake. It, it's just, they'll pick up on it straight away. These people that are interviewing you are witty, intelligent, have emotional intelligence and have interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of people before. So they've heard all the rehashed answers. Just be genuine. Okay. Now let's talk about study techniques, Harry, because there are lots of different types of study techniques. How did you find the right one for you? Oh, Heather, this was a journey. And you know what? I was talking to a couple of first years just a, a few days ago about this. And it seems like everyone goes through the same journey, no matter what advice they're given. So don't take this as the holy grail, but this is what happened with me. And I know a lot of other people followed this route as well when it worked out for them. But you know, I started off by taking notes in lectures. I take notes from textbooks. I take notes you know, about everything that I learned. But after a couple of weeks, the content just increased and increased. And what actually ended up happening was I was spending 20 hours a week just taking notes and not learning anything in the process. And when it actually came time to solidify that knowledge and I guess understand it, I didn't have any time left. So all I was doing was just transferring information from one mode to another onto my piece of paper. And it just doesn't work. And I don't think it will work for anyone. And it's just a big waste of time. So I realized the principles of passive versus active learning. And that process I was talking about just then is is very passive. It's note-taking. You become really reliant on checking your notes. Very little gets committed to memory. And without notes, you probably fail exams. It's it's just a, a really poor way to learn. What you really need to be doing is transferring the way that you learn things to an active role through active learning. And by doing that, um, some really good methods is like answering questions. It makes you think about things. It makes you um, just consolidate everything that you've learned. So what you could actually do is you could turn your notes into questions. And this is what I did. So instead of writing things, I'd turn it into a question. So like instead of saying sleepwalking occurs during phase three of sleep, 
I've turned it into a question like what stage of sleep does sleepwalking occur in? Or um, even better yet, why does sleepwalking occur in stage three of sleep? And that, that'll help you develop a more in-depth understanding of the concept as well as if that question pops up on an exam or if a doctor asks you that question or anything like that, then you actually know how to answer it. Uh, really good way to learn. Okay. Now, you grew up in Metro Adelaide, Harry, and yet you decided to pursue a career in rural medicine or plan towards that anyway. What motivated you to do that? During my journey into medicine and throughout it, I've kind of started to recognise, well, I have recognised that there are huge rural health disparities when compared to, you know, those urban populations. And there are huge doctor shortages and doctors are so concentrated and saturated in metropolitan areas that it's much better just to be a part of the solution instead of just conforming to the status quo and going metropolitan. So as a result, part of my plan was just starting to get rural experience. I didn't really have a clear pathway to do so, so I forged my own way by applying for a few things like the John Finn Placement Scholarship. And that pays me to spend eight weeks over my four-year program in those rural areas. And the more time that I spent in these rural areas, the more time I realised just how much of a need there is. And that's what's motivated me to consider it. Well, can you explain some of your experiences with the John Flynn Placement Programme, what you did? Yeah, yeah, of course. So one of my most memorable experiences was with the Royal Flying Doctors. I spent a few weeks with them a while back. And basically, I was a full-fledged member of the team. When there's so little... Uh, <laughs> health professionals available to the general public in those areas. You're not just someone that's standing by and watching, you're actually a part of it. So I played heaps of roles. I was involved in things called inter-hospital transfers, which is like picking up people from rural and remote hospitals and taking them to larger ones, like going to rural Indigenous communities and then picking them up and then bringing them back to Metropolitan Adelaide for those medical treatments that are really necessary that aren't available in rural areas. I also did some aeromedical retrievals as well and emergency call-outs. So they're pretty much like air ambulances and they were really common. So what would happen is we'd go and pick up patients in remote areas, like pretty much people who had been bitten by snakes or gotten into car or farming accidents, and then we'd stabilise them and take them to hospital, which is always a bit of a, well, it always was an exciting experience. There's also a clinic at the base as well. And it's basically like a fully fledged general practice clinic. So we do general checkups, do skin lesion checks, um, do mental health evaluations, just the sort of stuff that any general practice would do. And we'd also do really, really rural clinic visits as well. And these were, these were incredible. So went to heaps of different places to conduct medical clinics, usually go once a month or fortnight, places like Roxby Downs, Wakery, Pinaroo. These are all in South Australia, by the way. And some really wonderful Aboriginal communities like Udundatta and uh, Yalata. So, yeah, it was just such an experience. Well, through the PRCC, the Parallel Rural Community Curriculum, you're currently studying at a rural clinical school campus at Strathalbin in South Australia. Yeah. Has your clinical experience been different to any previous placements there? Yeah, quite different. At the moment, I'm spending a year in Strathalbyn, that's right. And it's a small place and it's really quiet and it's nice and the neighbourhood's incredible. And I've found that rural and remote clinic work is really similar to that in the city, so your metropolitan ones, but there are some pretty key differences. 
One of the biggest ones, and I think one of the most beneficial ones to to the patient themselves is our continuity of care as a medical student and a doctor as well. And I guess what continuity of care means is that rural doctors are typically able to have longer appointments with patients. And rural doctors are really lucky because they have the capacity to just have those longer appointments with patients. So what happens is, is you get to see those same patients over a longer time. And eventually those relationships, they build up. And you see different family members and friends until you become the doctor in the area. And that just keeps on building up and building up. And um, I was actually speaking to a doctor about this recently, but they work both in the city and rurally. And yeah, rural, they have 15 minute appointments and in the CBD, there are 10 minutes and that extra five minutes can make a real difference. And it can really compound to building relationships with the patient. So you get to know, I guess, every aspect of their life. Um, So you can treat the whole patient and not just the ailment. Right. Well, finally, Harry, what overall advice would you give to our listeners now who are beginning their medical journey? Right. So to those who are beginning their journey, but they're not in medicine yet, as I mentioned, just focus on keeping that grade point average up in your undergraduate. That's really, really important. It would be an absolute time pit if you didn't keep that up because you just have to repeat it again. And that's years out of your life. Do things to open your mind and your perspectives. That'll be really good just overall, just to grow as a person as well. Just keep an open mind and read some books fiction and non-fiction that'll really get you to think differently about things and I guess cross that threshold where you can put yourself into other people's positions and perspectives and be empathetic which is just such a a good life skill to have overall. Paging Doctor as I mentioned has some great recommendations for those books. Do some volunteering as well once again it's just great life skills. It also looks great on a CV but that's not as important as the fact that it just helps you grow as a person overall keep up with the news it just keeps you culturally and societally up to date so all these things will help you as a person and grow as a person and mature and just be a better all-rounded individual but it'll also help you with the GAMSAT and interview as a result so you can't really lose if you do those things to anyone in currently studying medicine hey try and get some rural experience just to see if it's right for you uh, if it's not I mean I guess the worst that can happen is that you end up with more medical experience anyway and more medical I guess, exposure in a different field. I mean, rural medicine is incredible for that. Try and do what I've done, apply for JFPP, the Jonathan Placement Program, and any other rural experiences in your school. I know a lot of medical schools are really trying to push that agenda and get people out rurally to experience it. And just talk to a course coordinator. Just get out there. Give it a shot. That's Harry Gaffney in his third year of the four-year postgraduate program at Flinders University and currently placed at the Rural Clinical School at Strathalban, South Australia. We trust you've enjoyed this episode of Destination Medicine, a joint project of the regional training hubs. The hubs are supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Programme.